Who here needs a restart? <laughs> I've been trying something with my kids lately when for whatever reason tensions rise and emotions take over. I, don't, I won't say on whose side of things. <clears throat> things are said or done between siblings or between a parent and child and the house is filled with negative energy. We're mad, we're sad, we're frustrated. <laughs> and Sarah and I, as the only adults in the house, have been trying to take a deep breath, kneel down, and simply say, can we start over? A lot of times it doesn't work, <laughs> at least right away. But it's actually surprising how often it does work how ready someone is to stop, to reorient, and to start over. Taking a moment to try to listen better or to communicate better. Now that we know the situation better, we can try again, maybe avoiding this time what didn't work. And how many of us could use a restart right now? Like if there was a button that I put in front of you that said start over, would you push it? Where would it take you? What situation would you return to? What would you do differently? It's a powerful idea, right? And if you're like me, I don't actually know what particular restart I need. There's so many things I wish I could do differently, even on a day-to-day -day basis. Relationships I've allowed to remain broken or unresolved, choices that I would take back or chances that I would take, big ones and small ones. And while I know I can't really do that, travel back in time and change the facts of history, I think our need for a restart might be signaling greater needs, maybe a need for grace, maybe a need for repair, Maybe a need for full acceptance of what is. Maybe a confident hope that despite the bleak midwinter we find ourselves in, a glorious future of beautiful spring blossoms is right around the corner. The Gospel of John was written after the other Gospels, and in fact it was written after most of the other books in our scriptures. It's one of the more recent texts we have, and it shows. It's the most theological account we have of Jesus. And I say theological because it's interested less in the chronicling of the details of Jesus' life, and it's more interested in looking deeper into what God was doing in sending Jesus and why it mattered and why it still matters. Let's look again at the text. It opens in probably the most dramatic way possible, in the beginning, which is a clear reference to the opening lines of the book of Genesis. You'll recall that in Genesis chapter 1, it's a, this beautiful poem about how God created the universe out of nothing. Christians sometimes argue about whether Genesis 1 is literal or it's a metaphor. Did God really create the world in one week? 
And this argument is so unfortunate because it distracts from the beauty of the opening verses of our Bibles. Genesis 1 is a gorgeously written poem and has an exquisite cadence when recited in the Hebrew. And the form of the writing is only surpassed by the content of the poem, which depicts God as this endlessly curious, endlessly creative being, which invents all things into being through breath and speech. It's a wonderful combination of planning and improvising. It's like jazz, the way that God invites creation into being in Genesis 1. There's this wonderful illustrated book by two artists named Carolyn North and Adrian Robinson. I really, really recommend you check it out. It's called In the Beginning, Creation Myths from Around the World. And their opening chapter is a creative retelling of the whole Genesis 1 poem. And they take some creative liberties in their rendition, but it's so lovely. I'd like to read to you just the first section of their retelling of the Genesis song of creation. In the beginning, there simply was. What there was had no shape, no size, no color, no form. There was neither time nor space, neither birth nor death. It was like a thought without a thinker. It was like a knowing without a knower. It was not male, it was not female, it was neither young nor old, but it was more than male or female, and its age was eternity. This intelligent energy, this paradox rich with potential, but so difficult to name has been called by many the creator. Longing for a world born from itself, the creator breathed in and sighed, Ah, that sound, like a song sung into the silence, shook the perfect stillness into motion. And from the primordial balance, movement was begun. The creator sang, and what there was for the first time danced. Let sound, sang the voice, be as light. And from the song and the dance, there was light. Just as beauty is created from the vision and imagination of the artist's being, so was the world brought forth from the intelligence of the creator's being. Improvising, the creator spun the elements from the seamless source of itself. The dance whirled out of the dancer. The song emerged from the singer. The birthing cosmos expanded and contracted. It twirled like a whirlwind of light and sound and burst, rushing into air. The winds of air fanning the light into heat unimaginable flamed into fire. Hissing, the fire ignited air into steamy vapor which condensed into water and the water dried by the winds and fire, hardened into earth. Dark and dense with matter, its dance stately and its song low, the earth settled weightily upon the waters. And the light lifted to claim the sky, 
luminous upon the dark earth, light and dark, matter and spirit, pulsed, pulsed, <laughs> to the creator's subtle breath, dancing together in perfect rhythm in the cosmic dance, light, dark, day, night, spirit, matter, and time entered to dance its measured steps upon the stage of space, light, dark, day, night, spirit, matter. All was in motion and all was in balance. The creator breathed out with the completion of the first movement and was well pleased, for it was good. That's just the first part. I highly recommend reading the rest of their creative retelling of Genesis 1 and looking actually at the amazing pictures because one of them is a visual artist. Again, it's called In the Beginning, Creation Myths from Around the World. I like this version, not because it's a more interesting retelling, but actually rather because I think it's a more faithful retelling of Genesis 1 in that it better captures the poetic form and content akin to how the Hebrew version would have sounded and felt or sounds and feels to those who understand it, and how, it, how this story was probably preserved through the oral histories of the early Jewish people because of its, so, its beauty. Genesis 1. That's not our text for today. Amos, why are you still talking about Genesis 1? Back to John's Gospel. Why in the world would John start his account of the life and ministry of Jesus with a clear reference to this beautiful poem, to, to the beginning of time. It's like, it's like how my dad starts every single story. <laughs> but if he's watching, he's laughing. By going as far back with as much background detail as possible. It's like somebody comes up to John and they're like, John, tell us, what do you know about the, the teacher from Galilee named Jesus? Well, it all started when God created the world Whoa! Too much information. Speed it up. But seriously, we have to ask, why would John randomly, we understand these words because we've already read this text so many times, why would John choose as a prelude to who Jesus is and what his ministry is all about, why would he take us all the way back to the beginning of creation and specifically to this elaborate poem? Isn't Jesus a prophet? A healer? A teacher? No. For John, Jesus is so much more than a teacher, prophet, or other mortal figure. For John, the powerful, history-altering liberation of Jesus is found in the embodiment of the creative energy and radical self-giving love found in the story of the creation itself. The essence of Jesus is the Word of God. The word that spoke creation into existence. This collaborative, improvisational, delighted voice of God is the basis for the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus lives as a dynamic light that resembles the Big Bang that erupted from the mouth of God and all the powers of sin and chaos cannot overcome that type of light. For John, and for those of us reading this story, Jesus 
is the embodiment of the creativity, the wisdom, the energy and improvisation, the love and care and delight that was with God at the very beginning. That's special. And it's a really cool way to start a story about Jesus. Friends, this is amazing, and it's especially amazing because by the time John is writing this gospel, he and the rest of the Jewish people were experiencing the devastation of the brutal conquest of Jerusalem by Rome. So many of the other writers of Scripture had not experienced that yet. For so many worshipers of the God of Genesis during the time of John, all hope was lost. But inspired by the dynamic, living spirit of God, John puts pen to paper and tells us boldly that God stands ready to help humanity and creation itself to start over, to carry on, to press forward, to recognize that each day is a gift and that the creator of life delights in the creation of each day and has intentions for us, good intentions for us and for our world that cannot be denied or erased. Look to Jesus, John says. Jesus, the fleshly embodiment of God's creative voice, calls us to start again, to remember our roots, even in our pain, and then to dance to our natural rhythms to sing in harmony with one another and with the rest of the world like the elements did in the creation story. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, the breath of God, was able to speak peace over troubled waters. He was able to recognize imbalances of power as unnatural and disordered and spoke order to that chaos. He danced and he dined and he laughed and he wept and he knew that at the heart of what it means to be human is to hear God's voice saying, this is very good. And Jesus, the word of God, invites us to remember our own origins in God's goodness and to wake up to the splendor of creation and find our place there. This is good news for us, friends. We are not given a restart button, sadly. But we are given a communion table which is prepared for remembrance, communion, and hope. See, we come to this table in remembrance that Jesus, the Word of God, was sent by God into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to remind us of God's good intentions for us and for our world. By Christ's faithful witness in life, in death, in resurrection and ascension, God restarted the eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation with us, that we might be assured of who we are as beloved children of God. We come to have communion with this same Christ, the word and wisdom of God, who has promised to be with us always, from the beginning of the world to its end. In the breaking of the bread, Jesus becomes truly present to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us for our eternal journey. In the cup of blessing, Christ appears to us as the vine in whom we are empowered to grow and bear fruit 
We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge. They're just a pledge and a foretaste of the banquet of love that awaits us, at which we will sing and dance with all of creation in the coming age of God's full reign. When with unveiled face, we will behold our great and wonderful creator, whose kind and familiar face will illumine our own. We're called to receive this supper in true love, in the company of our ancestors and the rest of the created world, in whose company we will always belong. May we be reminded, friends, here at this table and throughout our lives together, that God never stops giving us opportunities and courage to experience this restart, a new start, and new life that's available in Christ. Thanks be to God, and Happy New Year. Amen. Amen.